Hi, I'm Becky O'Connor. And I'm Kyle Caldwell, and this is On The Money, a weekly look at how to get the best out of your savings and investments. In this episode, we're talking about investing for children, including what options are out there, the common mistakes parents make, and some of the key lessons we can teach our kids about money and investing. And it's a pleasure to welcome Myron Jobson to the pod this week. Not only is Myron personal finance analyst for Interactive Investor, but also a dad to four-year-old Jean. Now, we're all parents, so Myron, you kick us off. How do you invest for Jean? I invest through a junior ISA and I invest in two quite racy, quite risky funds. So Jean is only four years old. And so there's a a long time before she actually gets access to the junior ISA. So that's why I went for uh, risky options. One, investing in emerging markets solely, which haven't really done too well recently performance wise. And one's a global fund, so a fund investing in different regions and different sectors, investment sectors like IT and um, financial services. So that's just the investments I have for Gene within a junior ISA framework. But I do have a separate pot in my own that I earmark for Gene um, in my own adult ISA. Um, and the reason for this is because, yes, I do want her to have a good sum for when she reaches 18, you know, to help her on her financial journey. But what about the bits in between? She might, you know, I might decide that I want her to go to private school, for example. So I have a pot of money that's invested um, in hope that hopefully one day I can afford to put her through private school if if necessary. And also I have a holiday fund or the Disneyland fund, I, I call it. Maybe if I call it Disneyland, maybe someone from Disneyland will actually <laughs> allow me to go and take Jean there for free. Um, if I say that's it, wishful thinking. Times. but yeah i have a a separate pot for holidays so just to treat her and i I think it's quite important um that that sounds incredibly organized and far-sighted of you um and also it's good to good to hear that you have the different pots for different purposes i like that idea carl i wonder if you would be kind enough to just go over what what the junior riser actually is and how it differs from an adult isa yeah, so it's um, you know it's similar to a adult ISA in the sense that you know your, the returns that you make the the tax free don't pay any tax on them, um, but th- there is a lower annual allowance which is nine thousand um, pounds, whereas the adult ISA is twenty thousand pounds, and you know arguably I mean I I use junior ISA for my two kids who are my son's five and my uh, daughter is two. I think I regret taking out the junior ISA because I think because the adult ISA is, um, is you know, it's got 20,000 allowance, which I'm nowhere near to breaching each year. I think that going forward, I'm probably going to do a similar approach to Myron in the sense that, yeah, I'll, I'll have a portion of my adult ISA earmarked for both kids. Um, you know, my, my wife may, may do it for one of the kids and I may do it for the other. Mm-hmm. I think that's probably a sensible approach going forward because obviously, with myself and my wife, that's 40,000 a year we've got that can go in both our adult ices. So I think yeah. that's ample and um, enough so that we can you know, earmark some uh, readies for the kids for in the future. Yeah, and a good thing about using your own ISA is that they don't automatically get access to it when they're 18, which they do with the junior ISA. And so you can have a bit more control over it because I do worry that with my own kids, if they get a pot of money and like maybe even five figures by the time they're 18 they would 
potentially just waste it all on a car or something. Whereas at least if it's in my socks and shares ISA, I can drip feed it or wait till I know that they've got a thing that they really need it for and then kind of give it to them, you know, for a house deposit or something like that, that I feel it's not going to be wasted. Something to think about, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. And that's that's the main sort of reason why I do regret taking out a junior ISA is because you as a parent, you don't have control over it. You're effectively cutting a key when you when you take out a junior ISA that they can then unlock when they turn 18 and they can spend the money. You know, hopefully it's done well over the years, but it's been invested over, you know, potentially an 18 year time period. You know, hopefully, it, you know, it has, it has grown sufficiently. Um, and then. You know the danger is, you know, they, you know, they could take it and they, you know, they could go to Ibiza with it. Uh, you know, or, you know, you know, you know, you know, I, you know, I'd, when I'm when I'm investing for my children, I'm I'm you know, I'm doing it to hopefully one day think they could use that money to go towards a house deposit. That that would be my hope for it. But um, obviously, with the junior ISA, as soon as they turn eighteen, they can access it and they can they can withdraw all the money at once if they wish to. Yeah, and the chances are when they're 18, they wouldn't quite have enough in there to, to actually, you know, put towards a deposit. So they'd still need to keep hold of it for several years. And that would take quite a lot of discipline for, you know, somebody in their early 20s, I reckon. Yeah, exactly. It would be like their first taste of actually managing, well, for many people, first taste of managing money. Um, and for those who aren't disciplined, perhaps there's a role that we parents have to play in helping them understand the amount of money that they are going to receive and how to use it wisely not just to go to Ibiza god forbid <laughs> as Kyle said <laughs> oh come on we all need a little bit of Ibiza in our lives just yeah, it's a balance isn't it <laughs> but there's, there's, there's also another point so part of the reason why so I still contribute to Jean's junior ISA but I don't contribute as much as I used to before the cost of living crisis because of the cost of living crisis prices are rising fast and I'm a single dad also you know and so it's it's a struggle it can be a struggle um, and so I I took this decision to whilst I'll still contribute to a junior ISA not to do so as much as order to firm up my own financial position and as we're entering into recession is to make sure that I can withstand whatever comes my way um, and you know ultimately that's for the benefit of you know Jean and myself. Yeah I've done exactly the same thing Myron I completely agree like you need to look after yourself and your long-term finances as well in order to help your children because you know you're kind of no good to them if you're also massively in debt and and so yeah it is important to keep paying into your own stocks and shares for yourself too isn't it um I mean you mentioned at the beginning that you had invested in Jean's ISA into racier funds emerging markets and um, certain sectors that are perhaps a bit more risky and some people might think oh you know that doesn't sound right for children but do you want to explain why you chose the funds that you did? Yeah it's because of the time horizon you know Jean's four so she has another 14 years before she gains access um, to that money and so it makes sense from an investment perspective when you consider that in, in, when you look back at history and look at investment performance they tend to do well uh, given time to work given time to um, for the money to work hard and so over a long period the idea is that yes while their stock markets can be incredibly volatile on day-to-day basis stock markets do have a knack of delivering consistent and convincing returns that trumps inflation um over time so i you know that's that's the reason why i do it really yeah and that's you know one of the big mistakes isn't it that people 
put money into cash junior ISAs and get teeny tiny returns against inflation over the long term. Um, Kyla, there are other mistakes that people tend to make with junior ISAs. I think that's the main one, Becky. You know, the people tend to be too cautious. You know, if you look at the sort of, you know, ISA statistics, then, you know, the majority of people, you know, if you look at, you know, cash versus stocks and shares, junior ISAs, more cash accounts are opened. I think the first thing to point out is that you can have both. You can open one of each. Um, so, you know, if you want to, yeah, so you can mix and match. But um, but as, as Myra mentioned, you know, you've got potentially an 18-year time period for those investments to grow and, you know, compound. And, you know, of course, yeah, there is it, the stock market. It's riskier than cash. You know, stocks move up and down. But over the long term, that is an ample time period to hopefully um, you know, receive a decent return on your investments that you make. Obviously, with cash, yeah, it is more safe. But you know, as, as Myron mentioned, that you know, the, the big elephant in the room is inflation, and you know, inflation is the Achilles' heel of cash. And you know, if, if you know, you've got junior ISA, cash ISA, you know, might be paying. I think they generally pay slightly better than normal cash ISAs. But you know, say if it's three percent, you know, for a kid's. Cash ISA, it's way below inflation at the moment, which is, you know, over 10%. Yeah. And it's probably worth pointing out as well that you can't, um, you know, unlike with an adult stocks and shares ISA or a cash ISA, with the junior ISAs, I'm correct, right? I've suddenly had a moment of self-doubt. You can't take that money out and you know, it's until they're 18. It's there until they're 18. So you can't use it in quite the same way. So if you um, you know, leave it in something that's sort of um, you would normally use for short term savings, like a cash account. It's, it's a missed opportunity. Um, and you I mean, you can move your junior ISA, can't you, to something different, uh, but you can't actually access the money. Or they can't access the money till they're 18. Exactly. And I wanted to make one point on the cash junior cash ISAs or cash junior ISAs. I um, this might be controversial view, might be a controversial view, but I don't really understand. I don't really see a point of cash junior ISAs other than as an option for teenagers, perhaps age 16 or above, who might shortly need to use their pot um, and therefore want to remove the short term risk of, let's say, a sudden lost in value. I mean, even if you felt it would be good to have some cash set aside for a child as well as an investment, I don't I don't quite understand why people want to do this through a junior ISA. It's a bit of a mystery as children like adults enjoy tax allowances and don't need to pay tax on savings interest anyway, for the most part because of the personal savings allowance, um, which allows yeah, savings interest of up to £1,000 per tax year for, for basic rate taxpayer. So with Christmas coming up, um, you know, what do you think about grandparents and parents giving financial gifts instead of toys and things like that? And what about premium bonds? Because they're often a very popular Christmas and birthday gift, aren't they, from older relatives? Well, I think, you know, it's it depends on everyone's obviously personal situation. But I mean, I think if you can, you know, a gift from, a say, a grandparent, a financial gift, you know, in terms of like, you know, money towards putting into, say, a junior ice into an investment, it can really help to pay off over the long term. Um, and just, just, to put some, just to put some figures on this, there was some research that was um, released this morning, which was a um, great timing, really, for this podcast, by the um, Association of Investment Companies. They pointed out that if a parent or grandparent or a guardian had invested a one-off £1,000 into the average investment company of a child 18 years ago, it'd now be worth just over 6000 so that's an annualised return of 9.9%. So 
So I think that that shows the power of compounding and over the long term being patient um, for investing in the stock market. And they did point out that you know if you if you were fortunate enough to be you know the benefit of hindsight and all that, if you you know if you picked the best performing sector over the last eighteen years, then that would have been biotechnology and healthcare. And you'd have, you know, you'd have made, you know, you'd have made more than that. You'd made over nine thousand for that one thousand pounds invested. It's good to know that now, but of course, you know, it's past performance, isn't it, guys? Future performance and all that stuff. Um, but it is, it's really interesting, you know, to know that there was such an outperformance. But in terms of um, premium bonds, and I think Myron's got some um, strong views on this as well. I think, yeah. I think, you know, premium bonds they can be a unrewarding relationship. I mean, just use my experience as an example. I've got a couple of hundred pounds in premium bonds from my late grandparents. And over 20 years, I think I've won twice, 25 pounds twice. I think the last time I won, I bought a video. So that shows how long ago it was. <laughs> <laughs> and what it was, was a, it? Can you remember? Well, I can't, it was a Power Ranger video. So, um, I, you know, if, if I still had a video uh, recorder, that might actually be uh, quite a good thing to watch now with my five-year-old. She's starting to get into Power Rangers. But, um, but yeah, I mean, I think, yeah, while the prospect of lands in a big win, it's fun. But, yeah, I think, you know, if you go if you go down the stock market route, you'll hopefully have returns above inflation and you'll, you're overall you'll beat premium bonds. I think the thing to bear in mind with premium bonds is they're not an investment. I completely agree with you, Kyle. I mean, I think it's important to bear in mind that there is a chance that you'll receive no return on your investment. I was speaking to a colleague earlier today and he told me that his friend's grandparents bought him premium bonds um, 20 years ago. So he still he still has them. Um, he hasn't won a single time. He hasn't won once, can you believe, 20 years ago. Bear in mind that inflation doesn't <laughs> remain static. And so you're losing money the you know the value of the cash it's been eroded um over those years and that's something that people should remember there is no guarantee that you'll win or win big in premium um whilst um with premium bonds and that's the risk i suppose and as we've said um when it comes to investments history shows that investments have a knack for delivering given time and and i suppose investors can take value with that you know, sort of a semi-serious point is if you want to teach your kids the value of investing and the value of doing something worthwhile with your money, then, you know, putting their money into something that delivers a negative real return over time is hardly inspiring. And, um, you know, if you want to encourage and inspire children, it's obviously very nice to be able to show them um, some degree of performance over time. And I know people who have, you know, chosen investments that uh, for their kids' juniorises that are companies that their children like or know. And I could think if I did that with my own, it would be made up of, you know, gaming-related stocks and shares, primarily in football, Nike and Adidas and so on. And actually, uh, one friend said that the portfolio of their children's favourite companies had declined in value. And although that was bad news, it was a teachable moment. It was one of those teachable moments like, OK, it's gone down now. But you hang on in there and in a few years, I reckon, although there's no guarantees, it will have gone up. So by the time you're 18, you'll see that, you know, yes, it's gone down, but over time it's gone up. And I think that's interesting, isn't it? I mean, I don't know, maybe your kids are a bit young to involve them in that way. But do you think it's important that we do that to some degree? Yeah, I think so. I think the younger you get them thinking about their finances, the better. So 
I suppose Jean is only four years old, so I can't really talk to her about you know, diversification, compounding. <laughs> She's like, hey, daddy, just put on Disney Plus for me. Just, just put on the shows for me. You know, I don't care about this. But you know, one thing I do with Jean is teach her is, is to teach her the value of delayed gratification. Um, so, for example, I say to her, right, Jean, you can have two pounds to spend on sweeties today, but if you wait. Uh, next week if you wait uh, three days or seven days um i'll give you five pounds and she often opts for the latter um because she realizes that three pounds is more than five pounds and with five pounds she can buy more sweeties than she can with three pounds and i think that's a good lesson to teach her it's just kind of the opportunity cost but it's important to really teach them um the value of money from a young age and i think then as they grow older, you can really tell them about more complex aspects of um, financial management and ultimately investments. And Carl, what else should we be teaching them, do you reckon? Well, I think um, Myron's covers um, a lot of the main ones, really. But, you know, I think it's it's important. I mean, obviously, mine are five and two, so the sort of concepts are, you know, not not beyond them. No, they're very clever for those ages. But um, you know, maybe in a couple of years' time, I think it's just important mainly to get across the value and power of money, really, um, and also teach them how to respect money, and also not to take it for granted as well. I think they're they're all important things. I mean, how about yourself, Becky? I mean, you're, I know your um, your boys are a little bit older than than our children. I mean, how, how do, what's what's their relationship like with money so far, and what what you've been teaching them? Well, they're eight and 11 and it, they're different and their personalities are different and that, you know, has an impact on how they handle money as well. And um, I'm not saying that the older one is bad with money, but he kind of wants more stuff. So he, it, for him, it's very much about what he can get for the money that he has. Um, whereas the younger one so far seems to be more inclined to save just for the sake of saving. And he really obviously gets a kick out of the fact that he's got a top drawer in his bedroom that's full of cash and he's hoarding it. And he doesn't seem to show any inclination to spend it. And actually, interestingly, his brother is in debt to him at the moment. I found out the other day by like £130. I'm saying, <laughs> William, like, William still hasn't paid me back, mummy. I'm like, oh, you can start charging him interest on that. <laughs> like trying to work out how much interest he should charge his brother. So, um, yeah, I mean, I think, you know, the lessons are, are different depending on the personality and and you know appetite for risk and obviously age but i honestly don't think that the um that there's any age that's too young for teaching the i mean obviously you know pre two is pushing it but from two and up you know counting and understanding the value of um, money i think is possible on a very basic level and then you know you can start to incorporate it um into maths as they get older and they do at school as well i mean increasingly now i think you know, we talk about personal finance education being a, something that schools really lack. But I have to say that that from what I've seen in the boys maths lessons, they do do quite a lot around saving and they don't go into investments and pensions and things, which, of course, I think they should. But, you know, compounding is one of the things that they do start to incorporate into maths lessons, which is obviously a brilliant lesson. The magic of compounding as an incentive to save has got to be something that we focus on but yeah so what you know one one for the future for you guys and what's your approach to pocket money and do you, do you, do you pay pocket money and what what age did you start paying it so it was six and i can't remember what we paid initially but it wasn't very much and now they get like a basic amount 
and then they get um additional amounts if they do certain tasks without any fuss um so they know what they have to do but it's things like keeping your room tidy and helping clear away plates and things like that and they don't always do it and then if they don't do it they don't get the additional amount and i have to kind of remind them um you know you get this if you if you do this but they they are quite money-minded so very often if we you know if we want to incentivize them to do something extra special we'll offer them a, a cash reward that will go in their savings app it's a pocket money app and it's really good and they can access they've both got phones now and as well as games and stuff they can access their pocket money app on there to see how much they've got and to uh, for Theo to check in on how much William still owes him great so I mean I think you know we've been over some some of the key lessons I hope it's given people some inspiration for opening investment accounts and adding to them this Christmas for their kids and certainly having conversations about money with their children thanks so much for listening to this episode of on the money If you enjoyed it, please follow the show in your podcast app and tell a friend about it. If you get the chance, we'd be very grateful if you could leave us a review or rating in your podcast app too. You can join the conversation, ask questions and tell us what you want to talk about via Twitter at iiOnTheMoney and email otm at ii.co.uk. In the meantime, you can find more information and practical pointers on how to get the most out of your investments on the Interactive Investor website, which is ii.co.uk. See you next week.